Everybody relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Everybody Relax podcast, facilitated by your local neighborhood social worker and therapist, Trey. Hope that your week has been well and your weekend has been um, successful. You have been safe, COVID-free, and if you have any type of wintry mix going on like we've been having over the past couple of days, I hope that you have been uh, stayed out the way of all of that. Um, <laughs> we've been getting a lot of snow and ice over here in the last couple of uh, two days, and so it's been been an interesting um Interesting 48 hours, I would say, you know. So, once again, we're on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure y'all go like, share, comment, and subscribe to the podcast on those digital streaming platforms. Whatever you like to listen to podcasts on, we should be on there. So, go ahead and subscribe so you can get the drop sooner rather than later. Um, I continue to need more ratings and more reviews. So, man, if you like the podcast, make sure you review it on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like it, make sure you review it on Apple Podcasts because it would be something that I can change and work on. And I enjoy constructive criticism. Um, And so... Yeah, man, we just want to make sure that we um get that squared away um, and going. So shout out to everybody who supports. Shout out to everybody who listens, who continues to share. Um, give me feedback on episodes. Um, the last episode was kind of a little touch and go there. I probably did about four takes of that episode, man. I'm not lying to y'all, man. And that was just, it was kind of a from my heart episode, but I just wanted to make sure I was really just trying to be clear with my message and not feel like it was me continuing to rant over and over and over again. So, you know, sometimes we get in our head, sometimes we get in our minds and instead of just just doing it and not thinking about things so much, um, you know, it, it happens like that. So hopefully everybody, well, I got some good feedback on that episode. So, you know, we'll continue to go with that, but we're going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, for these next couple of episodes, we'll be starting the social work career series that I talked about in the beginning of the last episode, where I will be discussing my time in certain positions um, as a social worker. And one, this this actually this first one is going to be before I got into the field of social work, but led me there. Um, you know, just talking about those different career paths that I've had, um, what that looked like, what I learned, what I didn't like, um, and you know, just you know, if you if you have thoughts about wanting to go into those spaces, just some things that you can look for and what you things that you can look to expect um, as a result of going into those places. So I think I'm going to do about three to four of those episodes, um, but we'll see. I know for sure three because I have three that kind of shaped who I am as a social worker. Um, and, you know, I got a couple in between that are kind of like my internships, some things that's like small maybe six, eight months stints that I don't know if I want to, but I might end up talking about. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that and we'll get started with that on this episode. And this episode will be talking about um, me as a mental health technician at a psychiatric facility here in my hometown. Um, and so we will discuss that. Also, this episode and the next episodes going forward, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to implement um, a segment called church announcements going church announcements is going to be really quick, really quick hitters. Um, and it's going to be about random stuff. Um, pr- primarily about stuff that I like primarily about stuff that, you know, I use on a daily basis. And I kind of got that from, you know, messing with the Joe button podcast, of course, but also like, you know, learning, getting back into the stock market again and, you know, listening to people, 
listen to I was listening to Earn Your Leisure podcast and um Jess and Mark on the Market Mondays joint and um Jess was like they were saying you know how when you invest you know invest into brands that you you love and you use every day and so I've heard that before but you know it stuck with me again and I was like okay maybe I should probably implement that into the podcast so you know if you don't know I'm um and this also goes with me um on my kind of because I get into like different creative modes and different mantras here and there throughout the year and so the, the right now my mantra is that I'm more than a social worker kind of playing off the more than an athlete from LeBron and um you know I find sometimes it's difficult to manage all these different places and personalities and different hats that I wear in my life you know um and it sometimes it can be like well you're just a you're just a jack of all trades but a master of none and I've always been been against that um, theology uh, because I feel as though we're not singular beings and we, we're not just relegated to our career path, whatever that may be, or our discipline. And we don't have to govern ourselves person, in, our, in our personal lives a certain way just because we are in this career path and discipline. And that's, I'm not saying that from like a, like a ethical and you know, moral code standpoint, like some stuff, you know, if you are in that certain career path or certain life, you do have to abide by certain things, but you can have different interests. And so for me, if you don't know, um, I'm a social worker, of course, licensed um, clinical social worker. Um, and I love mental health. I love talking about mental health. I'm a social justice advocate, um, racial equity. Um, uh, so I'm big into that, big into, um, Stress management, productivity, you know, all the things you can think of. Everything I talk about in this podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm into that, right? But, you know, outside of that, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, you know, I'm a deacon at my church, uh, I'm a sneakerhead. Um, I, I love sneakers, I love cars, working on cars. I love, um, I love coffee. I love watching basketball, watching sports. You know, I'm into other unique things that make me who I am, and. Other things that if you had met me in my, let's say, um, teenage life, you know, you would see a different side of me before this, this, these, these credentials. And so I'm big proponent on, you know, proposing that because even in the spaces that I work, which I would discuss, you know, people made their lives centered around work and their career and not the other way around. And I think we have to get, get out that mindset centering our lives around our career because it's killing us and it's stressing us out because these companies, these places that we work for, they don't, they don't care about us like that. They, they are, we're a number, you know, we're a tax write off, you know? So if something happens to us, they will replace us and find somebody else and move on. So we have to keep that in mind and, and not be ashamed of who we are um, outside of these credentials that we hold, you know, outside of the things that we are notified for. And so, that's why if you ever follow me, if you ever see me, you come on my Twitter, man. I'm not talking about mental health and social work all day long. I'm just not. Um, you go on my Instagram, I'm not talking about, you know, those mental health, social work all day long. I'm talking about basketball. I'm talking about shoes. I'm talking, I'm just talking, just being human. Because at the end of the day, when I go to bed and when I get home, I'm not a social worker when I get home. I'm a, I'm a daddy and I'm a husband. So... And then when I get in my community, I'm a community leader. Then I'm a, you know, I'm a, and at my church, I'm, I'm a deacon. When I get around my homeboys, I'm a basketball analyst. I'm Stephen A. Trey. 
And then I'm also a sneakerhead, you know, X, X, Y, and Z. Like, those are things. That's who makes me me. That's how I balance my life. And I've always done that. And so I've always looked at people who didn't do that as like, you know, what's going on? Why would you build your life around your career and not your career around your life? You know, easier said than done. I understand. But that's just kind of what I'm going to do. So without further ado, we are going to have the church announcements um, before we start our episodes. I'll talk about random stuff in there, you know. Take with it what you will, and then I'll go into our actual episode, okay? That's cool? Bet. So, church announcement starts right now, and so church announcement is sponsored by the Refresh brand, Refresh Virginia, and the good folks at Uphold 31.8. Shout out to them. Um, Yeah, man, so with my church announcements, uh, what's happening right now, what am I drinking on right now, coffee-wise? Look, I'm I'm drinking on a coffee brand called Red Bay Coffee from i think it's up california shout out to my guys the melanated social work podcast and those guys shout out to josh josh um sent me one of the avid listeners everybody likes he sent me this coffee um red bay coffee um and we exchanged coffee notes and how we like our coffee and stuff like that man and um he sent me this coffee man this coffee is amazing bro like it tastes so smooth man and i think it's and it's black owned too so y'all want to check that out man it's called red bay coffee I drink my coffee with um, strictly almond creamer now. I used to go black and honey. And before that, I used to do black creamer and, you know, sugar. I eliminated sugar, went to raw sugar, and then I eliminated sugar all together, put it in my coffee. So right now, it's just strictly uh, coffee and creamer. And it's 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 pretty good, man. It's pretty good, man. So shout out to shout out to Josh and the Melanated Social Work Podcast, man, for sending me that coffee. Now I gotta send him some coffee back. <laughs> um, but if you are looking into um, some different black-owned coffee brands for the month, um, there's that red that there's that Red Bay Coffee, and then there's um, Black and Bold Coffee. It's a black-owned brand as well. They are sometimes sold in Target. Um, I have it, but it's like select target. So you got to see them. It's black and bold coffee. There's some good coffee as well. Um, shout out to Sweetie's Coffee. I don't know if you followed my Instagram before, but Sweetie's Coffee, my good folks at um, out in um, Maryland, Ashley Logan. That's her coffee brand. And um, she also has a publishing company as well for um, helping you publish your book if you want to check them out. But they helped me to check out my book. Shout out to Ashley and, and Tony, man. There's some great folks over there. Sweetie's brand coffee, man. Sweetie's brand coffee is amazing, bro. If you get the um, vanilla bourbon, that joint is just, it sets my soul on fire, man. But shout out to them, man. Sweetie's brand coffee. Y'all go check that out. It's in Maryland. And then also the black owned coffee, the black coffee company. Um, they have some great coffee as well. Uh, I don't know where they're based out of. I want to say they're based out of D.C., but the Black Coffee brand is good, too. There's a couple of coffee brands that you guys can check out. Let me know what you think about that, and let me know how you like your coffee and what you're sipping on. Um, in other news, in other news, we're looking at... I don't know if you guys are into sneakers or not, but, you know, the Carmine Sixes came out today. There was a kind of a, a newer drop. They had, if you're familiar with sneakers, Carmine Sixes is a major pretty much pretty much major pretty major shoe um one of my grills per se and i had i sold mines when i first got them got them back and now um this pair came out and it has a different uh different iteration on the on the heel tab instead of having the jump man air it has the um nike logo on the back so everybody's going crazy about that because that's going us are old to the ogs so carmine sixes 
I got a 12. Anybody need a 12, hit me up. <laughs> I got them for sale for $300. But, man, I heard some people camping out for them and getting into lines and fighting over the sneakers. And I was telling my homeboy, I have not seen us fighting over sneakers in a long, 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 long time. There were some issues with the dye coming on the sole this time. So some sneakers got sent back. I don't know if that's part of the issue. But, yeah, man, y'all, y'all fighting those sneakers. Come on, bro. It's just too many avenues to get sneakers now at this time time of day, man. And so, and um, I don't know. Some people, some people don't like doing raffles. A lot of these sneaker places now have raffles where you just you submit online, submit mobily to um, get your shoes. I thought that was pretty cool. At first it was trash, but then it became pretty cool, kind of lessened the traffic. But it's it's... People ask me a lot of times how you get how you hit on raffles, how you get your shoes. It's either I'm plugged in somewhere and somebody can get me a pair, um, or I submit mad raffles. I think between me and four of my guys in the last week or two, we submitted maybe 20, 25 raffles to different stores throughout the places. And you can do raffles at Finish Line, Foot Locker, Hibbits, you know, um, and any other stores that do raffles. So you can go submit them. It's like a and pretty much if you use sneakers, that's kind of like a raffle raffle submission too. Um, so if you're looking for ways to find sneakers and get sneakers, check out those, those different stores that you do frequent and do raffles there. Um, and then also trophy room ones, Marcus Jordan, son of Michael Jordan has his own boutique down in Florida. He put out some trophy room ones that were pretty, pretty fly, but the release was trash. Marcus, we got to do better, bro. That's all I'm going to say. We got to do better. And it's too many backdoor folks on the on the horizon who got these kicks that aren't true sneakerheads and don't know anything about your dad. They just in it for the money. So let's do better next time for the real fans and the real sneakerheads. You know what I'm saying? Third, Trump got acquitted. We knew that already. But this acquittal sent a loud and clear message to the American public. I hope you are watching. I hope you are paying attention. And I hope that you understand that the Republican Party really does not care about the American citizens. Um, right now, the brands that I'm also using, uh, if you guys want to know, I'm going to be doing something around podcasting really soon uh, on how to podcast and how to, um, you know, what that looks like, and what that starts up like, you know what I'm saying? So right now I use Audacity to record my podcast. I'm using a uh, mixer or interface, which gives, provides power to my mic um, by Alesis. And then I also use a Sterling Audio ST51 mic to record on and use my mic. Now, I will probably be maneuvering to um, Rode Pod mic here soon and Personas um, interface. Uh, I just ordered that. That's going to be my new setup, and I'll be working on Mac. So shout out to Apple because um, Apple is going to be doing everything as much like they've been. They've taken over my world right now. I, iPad, the MacBook, the phone, you know what I'm saying? Everything Apple now converted me from android hp to apple now so um so yeah that's the products i'm using right now um apple is heavy in this in this household man and some other things but we'll go through that as we go through with this actual um this actual church announcement that's the end of the church announcements make sure you protect your chicken and guard your mentals until next time all right so let's jump right into it. Mental health technician working at a psychiatric uh, clinic, uh, psychiatric hospital. So for those of you who don't know, a psychiatric hospital 
can is an inpatient hospital for seriously uh, serious mental illness or mental health concerns. In order to be, at least in Virginia, in order to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital, you have to be a danger to yourself, a danger to others, or unable to care for yourself or protect yourself from harm. That is the criteria to get into these inpatient stays. You can go in there voluntarily or you can go in there involuntarily. Um, we in Virginia, we call involuntary commitments um, TDOs, temporary detention orders that last for 48 hours um, and can last up to 72 hours where you'll be in a psychiatric hospital against your will um, due to those actual concerns of then which you will have a hearing to determine if you need to stay that longer or if you can go home, be stepped down back into the community. I don't know everybody's process for involuntary commitments, um, but I do know, you know, I know like California is like a 5150, they call that, whatever. And so how the TDOs work um, is pretty much like, you know, you know, somebody, a crisis person does assessment, which we'll talk about crisis therapy and my role in that at the next episode. Um, and law enforcement issues the TDO to you, and then they take you to the psychiatric facility, and that's where you're held up at. You cannot, and once you're in there under the TDO, you cannot fight it. You cannot get out of it until they have that hearing. If the psychiatrist, the only person that can get you out of that process is the psychiatrist. If they they can waive the TDO, uh, if they if they feel like you don't meet criteria for psychiatric inpatient, um, and that's Virginia. I don't know how everybody else's works, but um. You know, that's how we do it in Virginia. Um, and so pretty much psychiatric in, inpatient, man. Um, typically, this this is so a lot of people don't understand what a, a psych psych inpatient does and what it operates like. And I'm going to tell you from my experience of what it operates like working in it for the, maybe like the last um, four to five years of my career. Um, kind of showing you what was it four to five? Ah, yeah. So. Typically, psychiatric inpatient role is for those crises, right? And and what I said, the criteria to get you in. Typically, to stay there is three to seven days. You have three to seven days to stay there in psychiatric inpatient. Their goal there is to get you stabilized medically, typically, because um, they use they're heavy on you know medication management there. Get you stabilized enough to where you can be managed at the community level whether it be your community service board, behavioral health authority, or your outpatient provider, psychiatrist or therapist or whatever. But most of the time it's, you know, follow up with CSB, follow up behavioral health authority to catch that kind of safety net, right? So typical stay is three to seven days. Involuntary commitments can be 48 hours to 72 hours. Then you have the hearing. Your hearing can go, your hearing can even say you can go home, release from hearing, or you can have a five-day commitment. Um, five day voluntary commitment, or you can have uh, um, some do like uh, involuntary up to 10, 15 days. Um, but what I'm used to is either five day voluntary commitment at the hearing or uh, involuntary 30 day. Involuntary 30 day commitment doesn't mean you're going to stay there the whole entire 30 days. Um, it just at this point is contingent on your progress there and then what you and the psychiatrist and the case manager works out. So that's that's the 30 day involuntary commitment that can happen at psychiatric hospitals. Anything over 30 days typically gets you sent to a state hospital 
um, where you need longer, longer, like longer treatment, more extended treatment. There's like, I can't remember how many state hospitals. I think it's like three or four. It's four. I think it's four in the state of Virginia. It's like uh, Central State, Eastern, not East State, Central State, um, Piedmont for geriatric, North Virginia Mental Health Institute, and Western State. Those are the state hospitals in the state of Virginia. I do not know the rest of them for everybody else, but I just know Virginia because I've been in the field for so long. And so those are the state hospitals if and when um, there's the, the psychiatric hospitals at the private level, community level is not able to manage this person um, more than 30 days they get stepped up to that. You can also sent, get sent to a state hospital if you come in under emergency custody order um, in the state of Virginia, where, again, you was a threat to yourself, um, danger to yourself, danger to others, and then unable to care for yourself, protect yourself from harm. Um, you come in and you can place on the ECO and those crisis therapists, if they do the assessment and they cannot find a private bed, they will send you to Western State. Of course, you might not be there long, depending on what how severe your case is, but it's a possibility. I will explain that in my next episode about emergency services therapists and working on that um, process of what that looks like. But ECO, and I'll explain what an ECO is, what a TDO is, who can get an ECO, who cannot get an ECO, things like that. So, yes. So, boom. That's that's typically how psychiatric treatment works. Um, so, you have different levels for psychiatric psych care. You have the psychiatric inpatient. You have intensive outpatient partial program. Then you have a partial hospitalization program. Intensive outpatient program is pretty much where you come in for maybe four to five hours a day in groups, meet with individual staff, social worker, psychiatrist, three days at a time, three to four days at a time at three to four hours a week and for maybe 10, 12, 15 weeks. It's a step down from psychiatric inpatient. Partial hospitalization, you do the same thing as ILP. But it's five days a week for umpteenth amount of weeks. And then it's eight hours a day, go home, come back next day. So it's ILP, PHP. Then you have substance abuse versions of that. I'm not going to get into that, but that's just one of those. I'll talk about that in another program um, episode. So you do that. And then another, another form is crisis stabilization. So crisis stabilization is for folks who don't necessarily meet psychiatric inpatient care, that they're the level two of, like, they're dangerous to themselves, danger to others, not able to take care of themselves. They're not at that level, but they're trending to that level. They're, like, they're, 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 they have enough consent and things are going bad enough or they need some a place away, but they don't necessarily need psychiatric inpatient, which is the highest level. You know what I'm saying? So... They so some areas have crisis stabilization ILPs and PHPs. It just it's about kind of what you have in your area locality, but that is another buffer to help with psychiatric inpatient. That's voluntary. Typically, that's 14, 15 days programs. Um, but again, like it's, it's just there. And it was, and and if you're in those programs, if you're any if you're in any of those programs, you can't be stepped up or bumped up to psych to inpatient if things are too severe. Always want to start with least restrictive alternative first, which is outpatient, then IOP, crisis stabilization, you know, PHP, all those different things. Then the last resort is psych, you know, psychiatric inpatient. So, um, of course, if you can be managed on an outpatient basis, then 
that's where you'll be at. So with that being said, let's go back to psych inpatient. So um, while you're there in psych inpatient, you'll meet with, you know, you get there, you'll meet with a um, psychiatrist, case manager, and then you have your interdisciplinary team, which is made of your nurses, um, some sometimes NPs, but you know, on the floors typically for, for me, it has always been, you know, the nurses, the, the doctors, NPs, social workers, case managers, and mental health technicians. So mental health technicians um, pretty much kind of manage the floor, help manage the unit. They help with nurses ta- nursing tasks. They help sometimes run groups. They help make sure that the patients are safe. They do a lot of rounds. They do a lot of talking, conversating with the, the, the people, rounding up dinners, making sure that, you know, they do a lot of um, a lot of psycho ed stuff. That's what mental health techs do. Mental health techs over here, you only need a bachelor's degree. Matter of fact, you don't really even need a bachelor's degree. You can come through with um, associates um, or qualified mental health professionals, two years, you know, two years, I believe, working in the field of mental health in some form of capacity, degree or not degree, you can become a mental health technician um, and work on those units. Um, my first day <laughs> working on that unit, man, was crazy, man. I, it wasn't, I mean, let me not say crazy. It was just, it was eye opening because I met my first patient who had schizophrenia and, um, just having that conversation, a dialogue with that person, man, was so fascinating. You get to see people at their lowest points coming in and then be able to recover it. And you see them at their highest points. And I, that was always the best part of, for that. Best part for me was be able to see that person who come in who maybe who had thoughts about wanting to harm themselves or wanting to end their life or who was unable to take care of themselves. They were psychotic. And, you know, and, and then just like in a, in a week's time, they, they make this transformation to a whole new person. But, you know, in my all my time there, man, like, you know, working with the schizophrenia patients was just very fascinating and amazing to me and just went back to my abnormal psycho- psychology class I took in undergrad um like it was it, it was more than textbook it was real life and it was just it wasn't it was just just off the it was really interesting um you know I started there fresh out of undergrad two months out didn't know what to expect didn't know anything about psych inpatient um, but just knew I wanted the job in the field. It didn't pay that much, but it paid more than what I was making in my bagel shop. So, you know, I was like maybe like five to six dollars more. So, nah, three dollars more. I mean, let me take that back because I went up on my bagel shop to ten. Um, and I made I think I was making thirteen dollars an hour. Um, fresh out of undergrad, that was like two thousand eleven. Yeah, so you know, I thought I was doing something, you know what I'm saying? But I was working there, man, and um, you know, I was you start on the seven to seven to three shift. And then I messed them around and did the three to eleven shift. Three to eleven shift was a little bit more relaxed, laid back, because at the time it was pretty much just a couple things happening. Like you see the doctor, then you do some groups, and then you get ready for bed at nighttime, um, stuff, dinner, stuff like that. Um, you know, in the morning time it was more involved. Seven to three psychiatrist comes. Um, they see the doctor twice a day, which was cool, but it was quick. You know, it wasn't that that long. You know. Um, and then you, you know, it was more boom, 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 back to back versus, you know, three to 11, it was like less back to back. So, um, evening time, it felt like, you know, a lot more, uh, situations going on on the unit and, um, a little bit more rowdier, 
But, you know, saying that just depending on the night, could be a rowdy night, could be a very, very chill, relaxed night, you know what I'm saying? Especially if everybody just, especially if you got a, a, a unit full of folks who are um, just unable to care for themselves. So things can kind of be a little bit more slower. Um, you see all type of different illnesses. If you want to see clinical diagnoses, you want to see the DSM-5 close up and with SMI, which is serious, you know, serious mental illness, you'll see it every shape of it from major depressive disorder, um, severe, um, and severe sometimes with psychotic features. Like, you know, that was the first time I seen somebody with de- that was depressed. that had psychotic features. That was interesting. Bipolar one, bipolar two, hypomanic and manic, um, super like, uh, super, um, pacing, you know, and pressure speech, Things like that, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, schizoaffective schizoid uh, disorder. You'll see all those disorders up front. You know, got a chance to see my uh, see a patient who was um, had uh, dissociative identity disorder uh, at that time before the change. I think it was called split personality disorder, but then they changed it um, probably like my year two in. Um, and with the DSM five, I believe and they re reworded it, and I've seen that. And that is very fascinating. Of course, you know, D, you know DID comes from a, um, serious trauma, um, serious trauma and some uh, abuse. And um, to see the different personalities um, throughout that, that that time period was 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 fascinating to see how the mind is is very the psych inpatient gives you a glimpse into how protective the mind is of traumatic events, and even though is classified as an illness per se, a mental illness. The fact that it's classified a mental illness is almost like its greatest strength, if that makes sense. You feel what I'm saying? Because it's protecting it's the the human being from whatever's going on. You know what I'm saying? Almost like it, it's 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 kind of a wild phenomenon. I think about that. But either way, and I and, and I so I had that. You know, I dealt with that, seen that, and um. A lot of PTSD, a lot of trauma. Um, we we this particular unit, I worked on adult for a while. They were separated, men and women. It was on the men's side for a little bit, on the women's side sometimes, mainly on the men's side. And then I had had a child and adolescent unit. And at one point, we was taking taking kids as young as five. And I remember having a five year old on a unit with like a bunch of teenagers. And I just thought, man, this is sad that I have this five year old here. And trying to manage that, and um, that was wild for me. So they they actually stopped doing that a couple of years ago, and they started only taking I think like the youngest they take is like maybe twelve, maybe now. Um, because you know managing children, and adolescents in the same unit is very tough, and if you don't have the proper people in place to do that, to to kind of cipher them up and kind of separate them, then it's not going to work very well. So and then you know, my biggest thing with the children, adolescents, the things that they come in with, you know what I'm saying? I wish that, you know, the parents would come in more with them because to do the therapy or do the inpatient, at least do the partial something with them because a lot of times those issues come from, you know, some issues that they were dealing with with their parents, you know? So how can we properly treat the kid or adolescent when, you know, they're saying their main stressor is their parent, you know? And so we, you know, trying to do more about that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I ended up when I when I was there, just I mean, you had no choice but to get thrown into it and, and learn on the fly. 
and learn how to manage different illnesses. Um, and I'm not saying that to be derogatory, but that's how people were classified. Not classified. They wasn't classified like that, but every patient had a diagnosis. So you could end up having a unit full of, you can have a unit with two or three folks who have schizophrenia, one who has paranoid schizophrenia, um, you know, major depressive, bipolar, you know, you know, it wasn't no adjustment disorders in there. <laughs> it wasn't none of that. It was, you had certain, certain seriously mental illnesses in there. Um, or folks who may have thoughts about wanting to harm themselves on one-to-one risk due to really wanting to harm themselves. I've seen folks harm themselves. Um, I've seen folks try to hang themselves. I've seen folks um, cut themselves. I've seen folks do a multitude of things while in inpatient. So you had all that going on as well until this unit was, um, you know, broken down to its proper, uh, not proper, but broken down to different units where you have your acute side, acute being more, you know, more seriously mental illness and then your um, kind of uh, standard mental illnesses, um, not standard, but like just more of your regular mental illnesses. They wasn't, they was less acute, you know, and then having another side that was dedicated to like more closer to folks who could probably benefit or do more like partial hospitalization, but, you know, didn't have anything set up right then and there. So you get all that. You get the interdisciplinary team member approach. You're working with nurses. You're working with doctors, psychiatrists, medical doctors, um, the whole gamut, social workers, uh, therapists. You know, you're working with a whole multidisciplinary team approach. And so that was new to me, but that was dope because I always got to see from different lens. I got to work with the nurses and see it from a nursing perspective. I got to work with the doctors and see it from a, um, a medical perspective. And then I got to work with the psychiatrists and seeing it from a psychiatric medical perspective, working with the case manager and social workers, seeing it from a case management um, discharge planning perspective. I And then, you know, whoever's coming in, maybe they did play therapy, not play therapy, but music therapy, you know, things like that, Looking, working with them and seeing how they, you know, do their groups, run their groups. There were times where I ran groups. And to this day, the stuff that I do in my practice was started at the psychiatric inpatient, you know, learning how to manage groups and running groups um, with all men, then with a mixed crowd of just women and men, then how to manage groups with kids and children, you know, kids and adolescents, how to manage that, what things to do, what things to talk about, what things you can do on this side, what things you can't, you know what I'm saying, how to make that flow. All these clinical skills that I was gaining while working in psychiatric inpatient was giving me the toolbox. And I continue to use and lean on those skills today as we speak um, in my current current practice and stuff like that. Not to mention um, everything that I learned in psych inpatient pretty much um, has has kind of boosted me and given me extra kind of. Uh, extra skill set because by the time I got into the social work program, um, in my master's level, um, I was I already knew a lot of things about these diagnoses and assessments and stuff like that because I was doing chart notes, um, not nothing extensive, but progress notes on like what this person is doing, how this person is doing on a unit, you know, and and writing up different incident reports, stuff like that. I was already doing that pre-going into the master's program. So having that skill set um, kind of elevated me as a clinician and as a professional because once I did take the position to be a crisis therapist, you know, there was nothing that really could have rattled me 
outside of, you know, the stuff that I've seen already in, in inpatient, you know, and I'll talk about that, how that worked out. I will say psychiatric inpatient is a very stressful job. <laughs> Don't let nobody else tell you that it's not a stressful job. The, the work in the field in and of itself is stressful. Um, it's a very stressful job and it can be a very dangerous job. I've been in times where I have to go into codes where somebody's acting out and we have to go hands on. No, psychiatric inpatient does not have padded rooms or the, those, those, uh, straight jacks. We don't, they don't use that no more, but do they put people in, in five point restraints and have I put people in five point restraints? Absolutely. Um, have I sat at the door and somebody that's, that's in a restraint, um, and, and monitor them for a good period of time, maybe all the whole shift. Yes, I have. Have I been in places in psychiatric inpatient where I've gotten spit on, uh, punched, thrown at, chased, hit in the head with a chair? Yes, I have. So um, those are the, the battle wounds that, that come from psych inpatient. Um, you know, sometimes it, it's, it's a very high, stressful, high, dangerous job. The, the thing about it, though, you build a rapport. You don't treat your patients like their illness. Like I, I said that earlier, right? They like they come in and they have an illness. We do report. They have a they have a diagnosis. They have an actual ICD ten code, right? I don't treat these people. I don't treat people like their their diagnosis. I treat people like they're human beings. So if I continue and if if I know my role here is to help you get out of here help you get stabilized enough so you can go home and get on about your life, then that's my job. You know, again, yes, there have SMI, there's textbook ways to work with SMI and certain diagnoses, X, Y, and Z. But in the psych inpatient st- setting, our goal is to get you stabilized medically from medication management standpoint and get you out the door, you know, and get you squared away. You feel what I'm saying? Psych beds are expensive. I don't know if you know how much how expensive it is, but go look them up. How much it costs a night to your insurance to stay at a psych inpatient? It's not it's just not not as cheap as you think, you know. Um, and and not to mention like there's only so much we can do right from a from an inpatient standpoint, um, to get you squared away and fully stabilized. You know that's gonna take the work outside of, you know, outside of inpatient, outside of 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 inside because you're only relegated to the inside you can't you can't have your cell phone you can't have a computer you know you can't you know you the phone is is usable but you know you can make only certain calls you feel what i'm saying you know at certain times got to go to groups you got to see this that and you got to do what you got to do while you're in there and so you know i say that because um that's that was one of my biggest strong points is building rapport with everybody that's on the unit. Building rapport with everybody that's on the unit. Being able to de-escalate and have those situations where folks are acting out or folks are thinking about wanting to harm themselves and having those independent conversations with them to help to de-escalate the situation, to help calm those people down. I've had a person charging at me, yelling at me to the top of their lungs, wanting to spaz and go off, and I talk that person down I treated them like a human being and treat them like a diagnosis. I talk to them calmly. I talk to them. I have rapport with them 
and I was able to de-escalate. There's been plenty of times on the unit where, you know, had I not built that rapport first with that person, they probably would have went smooth off. They probably would have tore up everything. There have been other times too. I try to talk somebody down and they just go to work. <laughs> they tear, tear up everything. But me building that rapport and see too, you build a relationship too with the patients um, who are there if you're on a certain shift. So like I told you earlier, they're, they're usually there for three to seven days, right? And with three to seven days, you know, that's about a week's time. Let's just go about a week's time. And then typically it's the same morning crew and it's the same evening crew and it's the same night shift crew. It's three shifts. It was to be the same shift. So over that week's time that they're there, you do build a rapport with those folks and they get, they, 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 if you build a great enough, a good enough rapport, then they look forward to seeing you. They look forward to talking with you. They look forward to working with you. They might not be able to um, express everything they want to express to the psychiatrist at that time. Sometimes the psychiatrist is not the greatest people <laughs> with the patients at times. Let's just be honest with that. Um, so you advocate. I was doing social work in that role as a mental health technician before I was a social worker. So you advocate, you express, Hey, this person said they want this, this, that, and the third medication change. It's not working for them. X, Y, and Z. They, they didn't get a chance to say it. They forgot to talk about it. Some people forget to have that conversation. They are people that are in these new places. They are stripped of everything. You feel what I'm saying? They got their clothes, but you can't have strings. You can't have, you know, your basic necessities that you're in there. You're in a common place with other people that you don't know. You know what I'm saying? You have a bathroom. Sometimes you have a roommate. You got to share a roommate with these people um, that you don't know. Share the bathroom with this person that you don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's a new place, new new environment. That's can be, that can be very traumatic. You know what I'm saying? And so there's times where people forget. Or I can't reach my case manager. I've been trying to contact my case manager all day. Hey, yo, Trey, hey. I've been trying to get my case manager all day. I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him. I need to talk to him about this. I need to X, Y, and Z's going on. Yo, can you help me out? Yo, give me a second. Let me get everybody squared away real quick, and I'll go check with them real quick. They want to do this, that, and the third. Hey, I, Trey, I need to make a phone call. I know it's not in, the, in, the, in the, the phone time right now, but I really need to get this squared away because I'm getting discharged in the morning, and I probably won't have the time to call later at night or in the morning, so can I do it now? Hey, yeah, hey, go ahead and do this. Or, hey, Trey, let me talk to you real quick about what's going on with me. 30, 40 minutes in there talking with them about something like that, X, Y, and Z, because it's usually two of us on the unit, usually. So... Um, all these different things you work with people and you treat people like human beings, not just from a diagnosis. And that was my biggest, you know, skill set. One of my biggest skill set, and one of my things that I pride myself on. First, when I came into the field of mental health, but as a social worker, you start with humans first. It's human first, and everything else afterwards. Once you start there, then you can start talking, doing the, the other work that comes with. Working with folks who have diagnosis or going through trauma or just dealing with their mental health. But if you can't meet them at their basic level as a human being, then you have no right or no way to be in this field. I don't I don't recommend anybody coming in this field um, unless they can work with people at the human level. I don't. I just don't recommend that because you're never going to help people the way you should or help people in a way that's positive, in a way that's going to be productive if you don't meet them. Um, at the human level. 
Now it's, it's easy. It's easy for me to be in this, this place with psychiatric as a technician and only work with folks do and and, and manage their, their their issues and skill set, uh, well issues and symptoms only based upon their diagnosis, right? And sometimes that you have to move move with that, right? You did move with that as they had a diagnosis, you know, but and you had to maneuver the the unit, work the unit. Communicate effectively and communicate in different ways in order to manage the unit and that illness that they may have had, right? But I tell you this: when going back to my my conversation about working with schizophrenia patients, it's probably one of my favorite group to work with from the um from the SMI population standpoint. And I say that because I've had conversations with, I have seen folks who have schizophrenia who come in who are psychotic. And just having this distortion of reality, right? Have that conversation, be able to identify me as a technician or somebody who was a helper, and then see them stabilize throughout the time that they're there to the point where they're clear. They might still have some auditory visual hallucinations, they might still have a little bit of delusions, a grandeur, or um, things like that, but they're enough uh stabilized and sharp enough to be able to continue to have a conversation know who you are and what you do and what you're about one of my one of my the patients that used to come in there schizophrenia um had a conversation and i will always have a conversation we have a conversation about everything we talk about life we talk about situations going on where he came from his past life and then you know, we talk, I talked about like common interest. We talked about basketball. I'm always talking about basketball with folks. I remember that time where, you know, I kept the, the TV on longer than I need to be to watch the finals with the guys on the unit. You know what I'm saying? And just discuss and talk basketball with them the whole entire time. And is that right? Is Someone will say, well, that's not, you, you're in a psychic unit. You're going to be doing that with them. No, 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 no. It's, it's, these are human beings. So anyways, he has schizophrenia, but man, look, man, he had to, we always had these conversations, in-depth conversations all the time, man. And, you know, I seen him. I seen him in my, 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 I graduated. I left my, my, the psychiatric job. I went to school, came back, worked at another job that was down the street, you know, doing crisis therapy. I seen him and had a conversation with him. He remembered everything we talked about from my past conversations at my old job. This was years afterwards. And, and, and it happened again with somebody else who had, and these are folks who have like, paranoid schizophrenia um and have like a really bad not bad form but they have like you know probably most more severe forms of schizophrenia um and so when they 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 kind of cycle throughout the year where they they kind of go off their medications and then they just can't manage themselves and they go into inpatient maybe one to four times a year um and so or multiple times a year maybe let me just kind of extenuate that but yeah he remembered that and then when I, the first week or two, when I started my new job, postgraduate, MSW graduate, one of my other patients that I seen over there, they remembered me. And I was just like, man, how, you know, and then I, I would run into other patients that I work with over there. Cause I, I mean, the, the next job post-career, post-grad was intertwined with this. And I'll tell you how that's intertwined, but they remembered me. They, and then they just remembered our conversations and I never forget one of my guys who was severely depressed. 
um, who like just thanked me like for just being with him, working with him, talking with him while he was on the unit, stuff like that. See me again a couple years ago at my old job and like just like hugged me so tight. I couldn't even knock off the hug. Like he just hugged me so tight. And he was like, oh my God, it's so great to see you. You were amazing. He was telling the therapist how, you know, amazing I was to him during that time period. And I, I, and I'm like, dang, that's, that's crazy. Like you would think you forget, right? Cause it's like so many years ago, like, you know, and I, I didn't do anything. I thought that was that special because I'm going to treat you like a regular person at the end of the day. You just going through what you're going through and we trying to help you. I'm trying to help you along. I ain't trying to give you extra stresses that's going on. So it's nothing for me to treat you like a human being, treat you like a regular person. It's nothing for me. It don't cost me nothing to do that. And had, you know, but that's my MO and I'm pride myself on that. And if you don't do that while you're in inpatient or working in those settings or working with people, in general, in this field, then you're not going to be successful in this field. You're just not. You're just not. And so um, those are kind of examples to kind of, you know, piggyback on how I treated, you know, that position and, you know, what's what's the go about it, you know. So, um, so I think I talked about a lot as far as, you know, my time in there, what I learned, what I gained from it. Um, what was, you know, important to me while I was in there? Um, let me, so let me, let me just discuss this. So I think again, what I gained from working in psychiatric inpatient was I learned clinical diagnoses, SMI and how to work with that population. Right. And what things to maneuver in that population. I learned how to run groups and I learned how to run groups with different SMI populations from adults, men and women to uh, even LGBTIQ community um, to children and adolescents, how to manage that, you know what I'm saying? In a capacity, I, I, I learned how to do all that. I learned how to work on an inter- interdisciplinary team and how that approach is helpful for, for patients and people in those settings. Um, I learned that psychiatric inpatient is only, it is only as good as we make it and put into it. It's only as good as we put into it. If you're burnt out, you don't need to be working as psychiatric inpatient. Um, if you skittish. <laughs> and you are scared of SMI, scared of inpatient settings, don't go work on a psychiatric inpatient unit because could people will be there and they'll figure it out very quickly that you're scared. I remember I remember one time I had a uh, situation that was going on, it was a code was going on, it was like my first, like my second week or something. Lady was like, oh, you new here, huh? Because I froze and I was just like, oh, what is happening? I was just so, you know, so... Like enamored by the moment, and I was like, you know what to do, and I was kind of stumbling on my words. She's like, "You knew here, right?" I was like, "Yeah, you know what I'm saying." She was like, "Okay, I could tell it was one of the patients," and then I, you know that, but you learn quickly by six, eight months. I was running, I was an expert in everything, you know what I'm saying, and handling codes, knowing how to do this, that, and the third, and de-escalating. I learned how to de-escalate. 
I learned how to de-escalate in the face of a crisis, which will guide my practice and me as a clinician for years to come. Because it ain't nothing like trying to de-escalate somebody who was yelling at the top of their lungs in an enclosed space with locked doors by magnets and they are starting to throw stuff um, or ready to come through the nursing station, which they have. Um, yeah, you learn de-escalation techniques real quick. So that guided my practice as a clinician and how I approach my work, you know. Um, yeah, and so, you know, all those different things. If you want to learn about seriously mental illness and that DSM-5, come to Psych Inpatient. You'll see it and you'll learn it quick. If you want to learn about how policy affects, you know, community, community work and psychiatric work, you can go there too, you know. If you want to learn how different medications affect the mind, you know, how the, uh, you know, how the, what is the, I don't forget them now, you know, all those different ones to kind of help, you know, people calm down or help with psychosis, help with thoughts about, you know, like delusions, um, injectables, pill forms, you know, how that affects the brain, how that affects the, the mental illness and diagnoses. Is that safe? Is that needed? Is that people that's too medicated? You know, if they're too medicated, then what we do, we they need to tweak. Can they be managed on an outpatient basis with this heavy, heavy, like, you know what I'm saying, medication management, man. You know, Ativan, you know, things that make you calm down, you know, stuff like that. It's just things that make you sleep. You feel what I'm saying? I forgot the, it was the Trazodone, Trazodone, like, you know, all these other sleep aids. Like, all these different things, man, you get it full face full fledged psychiatric inpatient bro and it's just it's it is it's 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 cumbersome it's just very unique it's very unique you don't get that in outpatient therapy you don't get that in um well it depends what you do outpatient therapy at but you don't get it you just don't get that full scope of the spectrum of mental illnesses mental health medical all in one you don't get that in, in nowhere else man outside of psych inpatient man so um i think that's it um for everything that i wanted to talk about with psych inpatient man i probably think of some more stuff to talk about um as a, as we go um but i hope that you enjoyed this episode i hope that it was informative and gave you kind of some insight onto um psych inpatient as being a mental health technician and what that looked like and what that could look like for you if you choose to kind of delve into that and 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 see what it's about um i do think it can be beneficial to somebody as a clinician if they want to work in this field um i do think it's helpful to you know at least intern there or you know just inquire about it um because i think it gives you some strong clinical skills just don't just 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 don't let it burn you out and if you are burnt out it's probably time for a switch because you can be there you can overstep your boundaries and be there too long and when you're too there too long then you that start affects your patient care it affects your patient care and you start to be more callous and um uh more irritable and less um empathetic to the patients there and they can tell they can tell 
and everybody else can tell. And you don't want to get into that place. Um, so I do implore you to, um, you know, be mindful of that. And it's it's a quick burnout that can happen there too, because it's it's just always constant. It's something that's new every single day. So you you can get quickly burnt out in that 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 space and setting. So you have to be mindful of it. Um, if you got any questions, feel free to DM me. Feel free to hit me up. You know, any questions about it, I feel free to talk about it. If you want to kind of compare inpatient as far as what that looks like for Virginia, you know, Maryland, Florida, you know, um, different states, yo, please hit me up. We have a conversation about it. It's cool. I just kind of speaking from a Virginia standpoint because I only know about Virginia inpatient. Um, I'm unaware about other states, um, but, you know, I'd love to have that conversation. Again, uh, follow us on, you know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, um, any type of digital streaming platform. We should be on that. So you can listen there. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe uh, so you get to drop sooner. Let me know what you think about my new segment, church announcements. I know I kind of started off a little bit rattly, but we cleared it up and got it together. So you know, it'll, it'll clear stuff up once we get going with it and get a flow um, with that. And so I appreciate you guys. Hope that you guys stay safe. And I will see you at the next episode.